welcome everyone to the World Cup Review Show. It's a show that seemingly changes its title every blooming week. On today's pod, we're assessing a tournament to this point, a competition that has been mired in controversy, but it's also one that's thrown up some surprising results already and no little incident. So let's get straight to it by introducing my guests. And with this being the charity pod, we've pulled out all the stops. Imagine an England team featuring Tom Finney, Bobby Moore and Gaza. Now, I'm not for one second suggesting that these individuals are the podding equivalent of these legends. I'm just saying, imagine that England team. Anyway, <laughs> on to our guests, who are Adam Keyworth, Tom Young and Howard. Hi, Adam. You well? You smooth-voiced yeah. man. Yeah. Um, for anyone who missed it, uh, Howard was flirting with me before we, we kicked this <laughs> off. So it, it really, he really is feeling charitable today. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. It, yeah, if a flirt... If a st- Promise to stop flirting, will you donate to the food bank? Uh, yeah, is that blackmail? <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Um, yeah. T- Tom, how do you feel not being flirted on by Howard? Oh, I was going to say, I've done plenty of parts with Howard over the, over the last few months, and not once have I been flirted yeah. with, so it's, yeah, I feel a little bit disappointed in all honesty, but, uh, but there you go, we can't have it all. Same here, it's brought on a little bit of insecurity on my part, but we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Right, lads, we've got loads to talk about, and it's a lot of it's England-related, bit of Wales chucked in there, and quite a few nil-nils as well, and a bit of controversy as well. So let's start with the three Lions. Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you. With a hand, handbrake off this young side, they're looking adventurous, they're looking exciting. Okay, it was against a poor Iran side, but this was a really good opening performance from England, wasn't it? Yeah, they look very confident, and I think that was the key thing. Uh, before kickoff, I just was wondering, a like you said, will will the handbrake be back on? Will they go four? Will they go five? And I think he had to go four against Iran because I think it was just a game get it won. But I thought the performances from a lot of the players was really good. And what I will say, and I said it at the time, I think it was so important that Harry Kane wasn't on the score sheet, which sounds yeah. bizarre, and I'm sure he would have liked to have been, but it showed that there's other players now that are going to step up and you don't have to rely on him to score every single goal. I thought it was really good. And it's the first time in absolutely ages I've enjoyed watching England. Mm. So, yeah, it was it was good fun, good start. I'll go along with that. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was possibly the most enjoyable game so far. Um, Tom, do you suspect, looking on a you know, potential negative here, do you suspect Southgate may go more cautious against the USA and beyond? I, I hope not, because I think... One of my main sort of qualms with Southgate, and I think the issue that a lot of England fans have with Southgate, is how reserved he can be and how negative this side can play, considering the talent that we've got. And I think we showed against Iran, who, let's face it, aren't going to be the hardest team we play in this World Cup, and we will have more difficult matches moving forward. But we showed that when we go out and take the game to the opposition, we're more than capable of overrunning sides. And we against Iran, again, like I say, as much as you're not the, the best side in the competition, we, we dominated that game for virtually the entirety of the game. Mm. And we just felt, watching us, we felt, I felt like we were going to score goals. And I know it's easy to say, having seen us <laughs> then go on and score six goals, but you watch England and I watched us in sort of a couple of Nations League games when we've struggled this year and you question where goals are going to come from. And like Adam said, the fact that we've scored six goals and Kane hasn't scored is fantastic. But I now want us to, particularly for these next two group stage games, having watched America against um, against Wales the other day and not really seen anything that mm. strikes fear into me from an England perspective, I want us to go out against these sides and, and take control of these games early and, and win the games in the way that we should be doing. And that will give us then the confidence moving into the knockout stages if we make it. Howard, if he does play three at the back, let's say against USA, or certainly in the knockout, you'd expect him to. He plays three at the back, plays two holders, for example. Is he right to be pragmatic in a knockout tournament, to navigate the tournament? Or, with so much attacking talent at his disposal, will it just be a wasted opportunity? Yeah, I hope he doesn't. I think he's played like that a third of the time, so he does stick to back four. But what are the players used to as well? Yeah. I know different players from different clubs are used to different things, but if you have to take... I mean, look who we brought on. You know, we brought on Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Marcus Rashford, yeah. other players, James Madison's injured. They're, they're players that didn't start, and then you're having to say, well, we'll have to start with you know the ones that did, take another one off just to be pragmatic. No, come on, just... 
just go for it. I don't mean gunko yeah. go for it. I mean yeah, just yeah. believe yeah. believe in your strengths and you know because I don't think we're gunko against Iran. I just think that the system works. They pass between the lines well. I guess you look at where the fullbacks are as how attacking a team is, and they were quite high on the pitch. Uh, you could just keep make them a bit more cautious if you want to be more pragmatic. If you want to, de- you know, protect that defence. Bennigan drops back and is you know can be a kind of protector if need be because he's an all-round midfielder. I just I wouldn't want to see much of a back three to be honest. Uh, I just don't think it suits the players e- either, and it's they're used to playing this way and yeah, changing it around as well in a sh- small tournament. I'm I'm not sure that's a great idea either. I mean, you mentioned Bellingham there. I think it was the emergence of Duke Bellingham which facilitates this style of football that we saw against Iran because he can be a, a number four, he can be a number eight, he can be you know number ten, he can be number six, he can be anything you like. Um, I, I I can't believe I looked into this. I can't believe I wasn't made aware of this beforehand by the media, but apparently he's only a teenager, Duke Bellingham. And it should be mentioned, as surely, but... <laughs> um, how do you judge him as a player and as a prospect? Who, who wants that one? I'll, I'll take uh, yeah, it. You because, take that, right, yeah, you um, take I think... Do you know what? I was a little bit sceptical in the Nations League games. Um, and only because there was so much adulation being poured over him. And I just thought maybe this might be too soon. But he was the best player on the pitch by a mile against Iran. And the thing that strikes me about him is he's a proper leader. And this England team, yes, Harry Kane is is kind of a talisman and all the rest of it, but I wouldn't say Harry Kane's a leader. And there were were times in the Iran game where Bellingham would lose the ball because he's sometimes a little bit too ambitious and he'll go and win it back straight away. And it's the first time I've seen England probably develop a a proper box-to-box midfielder. I mean, you Mm. tell me when the last time they've had a player who has a bit of the IR Torres about him where he'll drag it and he'll make England play. And I was so impressed with him. And the other thing with him is, yes, he's he's young and we're being told that every five minutes, but he's so calm. Yeah. He's so, so calm and it's, it's really exciting. I just don't want there to become too much pressure on him because the back four, as fun as it is, if things start going a little bit awry, he might be at fault for some things. I just don't want it to fall on him and him to become the fall guy because he could be. So keep the pressure off and just let the boy play because he's <laughs> extraordinary. So, there's, yeah, already, there's already some newspaper reports I saw it on the media watch on Football 365 saying, could he be the greatest English player ever? Yeah, it's, it's like, too much. Oh, just God's sake, yeah. just let him play I mean, his career. I completely agree, but just to play devil's advocate and balance that out, he is a special player. There's clearly, you know, we, we see it all too rarely. We see it in Phil Foden. We've seen it in Wayne Rooney. Um, we saw it in Michael Owen, but, you know, consequently we found out in hindsight that a lot of his specialness was down to his searing pace. But it's very rare that a player like this comes along who's just so naturally gifted that everything just seems to be done like it's a walk in the park, you know. He, he does look at that level above, but... I completely agree. You know, it's dangerous to put so much pressure on a young lad because, again, just check him a note, 19 years of age. Um, <laughs> speaking of, um, like, Phil Foden there, actually. Uh, Tom, his omission from the starting lineup. I mean, that's worrying. Phil Foden is, he should be in the starting lineup of any side at the tournament, surely. You'd, you'd think so, although I will admit that I wasn't overly surprised at him being left out against Iran and I wasn't particularly upset with the decision Uh, and again it's easy to say in hindsight having seen Saka go on and score two goals but in the way that Iran play football it made sense to have that more natural pace out wide. Southgate's never going to play Foden as an eight because Mason Mount is probably the first name on his team sheet every week Uh, and he was never going to go with anything other than and he shouldn't have gone with anything other than Rice and Bellingham as the other two midfielders. So mm. for the game, I didn't think that Foden was necessarily the right pick for a Southgate setup. Um, but yeah, I think if I'd like to see him play against America, against the United States, sorry, I think his game suits the way that the USA play football. And I think he should start that game. And again, against Wales, I think it's take your pick between him or Saka. But 
as far as Foden's concerned, it's it's been a strange, it's been a sort of a strange season for him at City as well. With him being in and out of the starting lineup a little bit more than we'd expected him to be. He's never quite had that breakthrough with England yet, where he's had a performance for England where you think, wow, this this player is yeah. unstoppable and has to start for England, like we've seen and like we know he can do at Manchester City. So. He's still young. It's his first World Cup. There's a few out there who it's his first World Cup as well. So I'm not sure you can really use that as too much of an excuse. But I think for Phil Foden, he'll get his opportunities. And if he can take them when he gets them, he'll be sort of putting himself in the conversation to be playing in those more important games further down the line. I've got to say, I wasn't overly surprised either by his omission, but that's more based on kind of word coming out of the England camp was how sharp Sterling looked. That you know he'd had, he'd struggled at Chelsea, but he was absolutely on fire apparently in training for England, and is he has the track record to back it up, hasn't he? So that's another spot where you wouldn't expect kind of Phil to to have been picked there. So and then you look around and basically it come down to him or Mason Mount. It was always going to be Mason Mount with Gareth Southgate, yeah. right or wrong. I mean I understand that you know if I was England manager, I would have my favourites. I think everyone would. So, um, Howard, what did England do exceptionally well against Iran? Ooh. Attacking. <laughs> attacking? Okay, we'll, be, we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag analysis. I thought <laughs> no, I thought the shape was excellent, basically, and I thought play, there was that understanding between the players. I thought passing between the lines. I, again, I said that you know, we did a review on the podcast yesterday, and it was like all, these, all this group is ranked in the top 20 in the world, and Iran are champions of Asia. My eyes test says they're not very good. Uh, I guess we'll mm. see in the next two games just how good they are. So it's hard to just, you know, where do you draw a line? England were brilliant, Iran weren't, <laughs> were the opposite. And I would say mostly it was England that made them look bad because they just passed the ball through them very easily, through the lines, found the space, got play, got the overlaps. And of course, as always, very always got a big threat from set pieces. Uh, which has been crucial to our partial success of the last few years. So I think rather than, you know, just a lot of players played well and what they did really well, I just think the shape worked in a way. And you could easily put Foden in there for Mountain and get the same thing. That's the good thing. There's quite a few like-for-like changes you can make that I think would keep that shape and probably just adds to the argument of sticking with a back four, so... Okay, Um, Adam, any room for improvement? Any kind of concerns going into the USA game? Um, I mean, we can talk about the shaky defence as much as we, we want, but I think it was covered before that the best thing that England can do is try and almost ignore the fact that the defence isn't as strong as we might like it to be. Maguire was a little bit ropey. Whether he'll be fit and healthy enough to play in the next game, I'm not sure, but there were times, the first Iran goal, he just was a bit switched off, and that's the only thing that concerns me, but... If he goes out and plays the same side or a very similar side, sticks with the full-backs who were, were getting on and Rice sits back in, I think it, it should be okay. I was I think I was just concerned about going in the first game and England overthinking it and going into themselves. But to get a win like that and watching the Wales-USA, Wales-USA game, I don't think there's too much to worry about. The only thing, and I agree with what Tom said before, is if you want a game for Foden, this is it, because they were tackling hard. They were on on the players as quickly as possible. And players like Foden, players like Grealish, they'll get them booked straight away. They'll be the first to the ball and they'll be quick on it. So Mm. it should be absolutely fine, I hope. So from each of you, um, kind of just a a one-word answer. So you've got the choice, basically, of where you believe England will finish. So uh, let's assume they get out of the group. So... Either last 16, quarters, semis, final. Uh, Tom? Final. Oh, okay, Howard. <laughs> I think they're going to hit France in the quarters, aren't they? They are. Yeah. I don't think well, that's a definite loss, but that's awkward. Sod it, semi-final. Okay, Adam? I wanted to go final, but I'll be safe and go quarter-final and I'll... Uh... <laughs> I'll, I'll let friends <laughs> Last enough. 16 it is then, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to another potential quarter-finalist, Wales, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. In the home nation's trophy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, 
Tom, did the performance of either side worry you from an English perspective? No. no, <laughs> no I, yeah, in, in, a, in a word, no. Um, I just think that that neither side have the ability to really dominate a game. And I think we saw that in a nutshell on, on Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? When did they play? Tuesday? I don't uh, even know what Monday. day it was. Monday? On Monday. Um, in that Wales were miles off in the first half. And if they'd have played England in the way that England played against Iran in that first half against Wales in their first half showing would have the game would have been out of sight by half time. And I think what we saw from the United States is that they've got the ability to sort of control spells of the game, but I don't think they have that quality, particularly in the midfield, to be able to overrun a team and, and stay in control of a game. Um, and yeah, neither side I didn't see anything from either side really that that worries me massively and it I'll probably look like a fool now if we go on and drop points. We'll inevitably probably drop points against one of the two sides. But in in truthfulness it was nothing from from either side that really yeah. makes me feel like England should have too many struggles against either of them. Because both are capable what the, I think what the thing about both nations is is that they both know that they're capable of going out there and winning games of football and they'll come out and try and play against England and I think that suits England. Because I think if we were playing against a nation who were going to just sit 11 men behind the ball, kind of like Iran did, but then Iran kind of gave it a go as well and we picked in spaces behind, if USA and Wales come against us and try and play football, I think we'll have too much against either of them. I, I think personally, Rob Page has not got a mandate for the, for the England game at this point. I think a lot of it depends on beating Iran. If, if Wales beat, We don't know from a Welsh perspective what we need to do against England. Um, and I think there's two very different ways we could play against England. Um, and it really will depend on how we do against uh, Iran. It could well be where it just it just diminishes to a battle of Britain. Um, but however we play, I, I don't fancy us against Wales. Can, I, can I quickly add as well that Kiefer mm. Moore has to play every minute for Wales from this point Oh, the call. difference he made. I cannot believe... I cannot believe when I heard... I was listening to it on the radio, like the team news before the game, and I heard that he was on the bench and I thought... For starters, I've misheard something. The, the man, when he came on the pitch, he just gives Wales a purpose going forward. In that yeah. first half, Wales looked lost. They didn't know where they were going. When they got into the final third on the brief occasion that they did, They just there was nobody there. And when Kiefer Moore came on, he's been banging form for Bournemouth over the last few weeks as well. So it made no sense that he didn't start. But I think any chance Wales have got of progressing... And any chance they've got a beating Iran on Friday is is playing Kiefer Moore. He's got to be the first name on the team sheet over yeah. Gareth Bale, over anyone. He's got to be like spearheading that attack. Well, not playing Dan James would be a start because he's the most brain-dead <laughs> footballer I've ever seen in my life. It's unbelievable. Um, Until next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Howard, I put in the agenda, is it fair to say that Wales are too reliant on Bale and Ramsey? Um, let's kind of phrase that different because quite clearly we are too reliant on Bale and Ramsey. But we've been both been old stages now and they're really struggling for form and that's not for fitness. That's a big problem, isn't it? Should Wales maybe be less reliant on the two of them? Should you know I was thinking this in the first half in particular where opposition players were just bypassing Ramsey and you mm. think, I'd rather someone who plays for Portsmouth, you know, like Andy Morell, in there because he's got the legs. So are, are we to our detriment, are we too reliant on those two now, Wales? guess you are because you've got two standout players like that then the opposition know to negate them and you're halfway there are they not but mm. then what can you do you're not go I mean does he play for Nice now having around yes like yeah so is he reg is he first team regular uh, he's played football? he's played two 90 minute games of football in, in 2022 I think wow. well, certainly this season and of course yeah Gareth Bale is just obviously just saving himself for international football and Bale's the same if, two games but if it works year. yeah it's difficult because what what's the option? Uh, you're going to play them, aren't you? You're not going to drop them. Uh, of course, unless, as you say, if their legs have gone. I think Bale's the more obvious one that he is going to start. And Ramsey's more the one, well, to be honest, perhaps he's better as a sub if he's not got 90 minutes in him. So, mm. But yeah, it, it is an issue because at some point, obviously Gareth Bale will make that decision, decision himself, I assume. This is his last last round of international football and then he's probably done but Aaron Ramsey may do the same himself and maybe it's the players themselves who will make that decision easier for future uh, future games for Wales I mean 
I've got nothing but respect for Aaron Ramsey though, because in that second, like, he ended up playing ninety-nine minutes of, of international mm. football, um, and, and that's the Bayern. shortest game we've had in the World Cup. Yes, <laughs> which we're going to come to. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if any of you seen that clip of Bale. I don't know who he's talking to actually, but he's talking to a teammate and just saying, "Just keep running. That's all we can do. Just keep running." Um, yeah, love, love, love both of them. Adam, what's the best that Wales can hope for this tournament? Is it simply a case of getting through the group as runners, runners up? Yeah, I think. It's a success for Wales, isn't it, getting out of the group? And that's yeah. no, there's no shot at Wales there. It's it's not the easiest of groups, and I think the USA in that first half were a lot better than people would would have expected. Um, and Wales needs to beat Iran. I think if Wales beat Iran, might need something against England. But getting out of the group is a result, and then you never know from there in the last sixteen because the other group is also a little bit shaky that that could come up against the runners-up. So getting out of the group, I mean, an ultimate success is if Wales could get to a quarter-final, get through the group, get get through the, the last 16, then that that's it. But I think the difference with the side that did so well at the Euros a few years ago, I think those players just are a little bit, not too old, but as Howard was saying, Ramsey just doesn't look up to it. And if they're just being told to run and run hard, I just don't think there's enough quality to go much further well obviously as a Welshman I'm going to back them and, and I genuinely believe that we're going to reach the quarterfinals and we're going to beat Holland in the last 16 I've called this out now for, for months <laughs> I really I would back Wales against Holland don't know why could just see us beating we haven't got a chance against England but I do fancy us against Holland if we uh, encounter them in the last 16 which as things are playing out is possible Um okay well a broader point and, and a more important point really and this is something which infuriated me uh, this week was the One Love Armband kind of Farago. Um, several European nations um, were committed to their captains wearing a One Love Armband in guitar and just the threat of a yellow card for, for whoever was, was wearing it was enough for everyone to back down. Um, just from a personal perspective I don't believe the players should be criticised in any way, which I've kind of seen. This comes down to the FAs bottling it. Um, I want all of you to chip in here. So basically, whoever starts talking first can go first. Oh, stand up. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really difficult and it's it's really hard to pin blame. The blame is obviously with FIFA and it, it comes down, it trickles down from FIFA because they're at this point going out of the way to ban just about anything that Qatar don't agree with. We've seen it with like the inside of Belgium shirt that says love on it. Um, We've seen them not letting flags in that there was one that was like a Brazilian, um, like a a part of Brazil that some part of their flag had three colors on it that could have looked like a rainbow. They went like, it's, it's dumb. The thing that, and I, I know that it's not really the players who can be blamed, and it would be amazing if one of them went against it, but they're there to win the World Cup. That's their job. Um, could the coaches have done it? Is anybody yeah. bothered if Southgate gets booked or gets a touchline ban or whatever? The whole thing about it was that the act of wearing the armband was meaningless originally. It was like a performative, we're doing something. It doesn't mean much. As soon as FIFA said, don't do this, that's when you've got the attention that you want. That's when people are looking at it and it becomes more significant than it would have been if every captain had worn it because it becomes a protest. And speaking as a straight white male, I haven't had to protest for Pride and I know that Pride is a protest. It still is a protest. So somebody being able to stand up and do it would have had so much more meaning having been told don't do it or you're going to face sanctions. We saw with Iran, the player who was up for the press conference, I think it was the captain, He, what he said will get him arrested when he gets back, back to Iran. Hmm. Like that, That's protest. So FAs and people buckling and not wanting to say anything, it's weak and it, it feels cheap, but... There are so many bigger issues at play, and it's all from FIFA and from Infantino, who goes from weird to weirder. I think over the, <laughs> the whole course of this, so it's 
it's wrong from top to bottom, but to put the blame on the players, I think, is a, a cheap shot. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd like to think, or maybe I'm just being too idealistic here, but you'd like to think that the FAs could have got together and all basically had a unified stance on this to, to, to you know, stand up to it and not back down. Um, but that clearly has not been the case. I will, um, I, will how, quickly, I will quickly throw in just, it's only just happened obviously in the last 10 minutes, but Germany in their sort of pre-match photo ahead of their game against Japan, which is taking place now, all sort of covered their mouths uh, as an indication that they're being... Really? to say that they're being silenced by UEFA. So there's a photo which is quite powerful in a way yes. that they, of, of the whole squad with the hand over their mouth for their pre-match photo, which, again, is something that UEFA will, or sorry, FIFA will probably find a way to try and try and find them or get them in trouble for. But there's obviously, they, they, as, as we've said, like, as Adam's just said there, with what's going on with Iran and the fact that the players didn't sing the national anthem, which will get them in all sorts of bother when they go back, uh, go back home after the World Cup. With, it's nice to see that teams are finding a way to to make their voices heard whilst being try whilst sorry whilst FIFA are trying their utmost to to prevent that from happening. So fair the, play to Germany for doing that. Yeah, the German FA have put out a statement as well alongside it. I've just had a look, and they've said it wasn't about making a political statement. Human rights are non-negotiable. That should be taken for granted, but it still isn't the case. That's why this message is so important to us. Denying us the armband is the same as denying us a voice and we stand by our position. So oh. a bit stronger than the other nations. Yeah, but, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, but it's almost a case of like, who's going to do the strongest thing? And that wasn't the idea. The idea was mm, all of these correct. nations who say that they believe in the same thing, we're going to stand together and it, it's not yeah. been the case. Not a case of upstaging each other. It's a case of everyone being able to make their voice heard and that that's where it's now becoming the exact opposite because teams are being forced to do things that they not that they didn't want to do but because they're not being allowed to do something as as simple but as powerful as wearing an armband it's now causing further bother down the line which is ridiculous i mean it's, it's only a minor point in the in the big scheme of things but the hypocrisy of fifa as well and uefa yeah. and, and all these government bodies who, who promote these kind of you know campaigns that they do and then they react like this is just staggering hypocrisy. Now, they're obviously in the pocket of you know, the hosts, uh, yeah, as is usually the case. And it's a perfect summation of where we are, really, that we're holding it now in November. We're talking about a World Cup in yeah. a country ill-equipped for many different reasons to host that World Cup. It perfectly sums it up. It was uh, the one love is, I, I think it's Dutch football that created it. It's kind of a half measure anyway. It's not fully out there. You know, It's about diversity, I think, as a whole. But honestly, collectively, the seven nations were going to wear it. They should have called FIFA's bluff. Yeah. The can, only can caveat, I could, the only caveat. Sorry, very quickly, one sentence yeah. that I can think. We, if do we not know the full story? What were FIFA? I can see why if you're at the FA or whatever on the day, you're like, oh my god, I can't mess this up and get us knocked out of the World Cup. I'll be a pariah, the most unpopular person in the country. It might be seen as weak, but I can see why they backed down, even if it's not right. But the seven nations together should have got together, called FIFA's bluff and said, what are you going to do about this? Correct. Correct. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. What Do we know exactly what was threatened? But no, even I've, still, seen a, a Royal, I've seen a Daily Mail uh, article. It doesn't specify. There were... It's not just a yellow card. I think there was more than that. But ultimately, if Seven Nations doing it, they're not doing anything. What What if England and Wales next Tuesday just went, all right, let's see what you're going to do, and all 22 wore it? What are they going to do? I suggested Stop the game, that. And the, and then... I su- yeah, I suggested that in the review, and Aiton said, well, perhaps it's too late for that now. Yeah, if it back is. back down it one, not. it seems a yeah. bit of an empty gesture. If England have already qualified... Mm. It's like, oh, yeah. you're doing it now, aren't you? <laughs> now that you're through to the knockout stages, maybe it's not as powerful, but I'd still do, do it. You, do you think they'd have, what, book all 11 players during the, the lineups? Like, that is when protest becomes effective because then people start going, well, what are you booking yeah, players yeah, for? Definitely. And, and it, it rolls on from there. And then the nations who aren't involved in it and didn't know about it be like, well, hang on, this is very odd. Why? Why is a, a full team being booked or sent off before a game? Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's a I, shame it, because they had. I think they had a real opportunity, and it's, it's gone was, now. Wasn't it just Kane wearing it though that would have been booked? It would if the captains he, would have been Bale and Kane. Yeah, yeah. Wales. But the, the whole the active ca- just, protest. 
the whole intention of protest, the whole aim of protest is to help change the minds or the outlook of people in the centre ground. It is not to change the opinions of people who oppose you. That, that someone who has an opposing view is not going to change their mind over a, an act of protest. They're just not. But the people in the centre ground, the vast majority, if they see something like that, if they see 11 players booked, they are going to react with, well, that's just bloody ridiculous. You know, and so that protest then works. Mm. Yeah, no, I... I yeah, I, I, last week I said, yeah, what's the point now? It should never come to this that we're holding it, but now we are. I guess I'll just try and enjoy some football. Mm. But now it's started and you see what's happening on the ground and it's like... And, you know, I'm not intelligent enough to do the nuanced argument about different cultures and what we should expect when we visit them, but they are hosting an international tournament. So uh, Ali Fogg's done a great thread on this yesterday on Twitter, if you want, you know, a proper elegant explanation that I'm probably not capable of. But now it's started. I think these things, I take back what I thought earlier. It's about more than football, and protests can be really powerful when they're done there and then. Yeah, it's like Adam said as well at the start, if it if it just basically wore the armbands, nothing would really have been made of it. It would, it would have had very limited impact. But now, yeah. so it's really backfired on FIFA in that regard anyway. Because that that's the difference, isn't it? Them wearing them and FIFA saying, that's fine. That's not protest. That is a meaningless gesture to say, yeah, yeah we came out here and we don't agree with it, but here's our little performative armband that we're going to wear. As soon as FIFA say no, then it's a protest. And... It's it's a wasted opportunity, and I imagine within maybe the next four or five days, people will stop talking about it, and then it's just another World Cup that has its serious downsides. Look at Russia last time. There, there was a lot of talk about why is it in Russia and all the rest of it. As soon as the football really kicks in, people will stop talking about it. So. Well, we're, we're going to return to the football very soon, but I did include in the agenda at the end, and, and it makes sense to kind of, you know, uh, ally it with this because it's the same subject really um on apparently that guitar are really seriously um regretting doing this whole tournament now but, but they're not happy with how things have played out you know this winter uh, and they're regretting the whole thing and it's cost them what was it 222 billion pounds um you look at us uh, yes um tom you look at the absolute welter of criticism that's greeted this tournament and you look at say from my perspective if someone said about guitar, what, 10 years ago or wherever it may be, I would have just thought of it as being quite a lovely sunny place to go for a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have known much about it at all, really, just a very rich uh, state and that's it. Now I know all about the human rights. Um, I, know, I know about all kinds of problems they have in that country. Sports washing, or at least this in particular, is an example of sports washing really not working, isn't it? Yeah, no, 100%. As you say, it's gone from being a place where, like, similar to what you said, if someone said to me, what do you know about Qatar? I'd say, well, I know you've got to be rich to go over there and it's very hot, and that would be about as far yeah. as my knowledge of, of, the, of Qatar would go. But they've now put themselves in the firing line by getting this World Cup in whichever way they've done it backhandedly. And now every single country in the world has got their eyes on Qatar and is seeing the absolute shambles that, that is going on there. The only positive thing I've seen from the entire World Cup was a video of that Everton fan who went and like petted that Sheikh's lion when he went yes. out trying to buy booze. And that's like the only positive video I've seen from any any <laughs> corner of this World Cup so far. And that was fantastic. But for Qatar as, as, as a state, as a sort of a powerful place to be, they have now left themselves vulnerable to the fact that everybody knows what's going on there. And as, as you've said there, they're not happy and they probably greatly regret the decision to to pay the money that they paid to get their hands on this World Cup because all it's done is send them lower and lower in the pecking order in terms of in terms of places in the world. And yeah, I don't imagine it would be a particularly fun place to be from, from here on out. So yeah, it, the World Cup should have never been there in the first place. I think we all know that. Um, but for, from Qatar's perspective, they've, they've spent a lot of money getting this World Cup and it's it's come back to bite them on the arse. And I can't say I'm particularly upset for them for that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's a, a possibility that this may spell the end of international sports washing, at least. Maybe not in so much as, you know, the, the buying up of PSG, for example. But certainly on an international stage, in a global stage, this might spell the end. But then 
Saudi Arabia, Howard, are, are very much interested in the, was it the 2030 World Cup? So oh, there must be benefits go wrong. to it. I know. It would just be this all over again, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, it's a bigger country, but I don't know what their infrastructure is. It might make it even worse, to be honest. So much, much, much bigger country. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, well, again, I'm not eloquent enough to say let's Western countries should be... Uh, the issue with Qatar was threefold. It was how they got the tournament, and that's nothing new. Uh, mm. You know, we know it was paid for. Uh, the migrant workers, that is quite new in a way, and that's a huge... You know, total, we don't know the death toll, but one is too much, many is basically the point here. There were deaths, and it's totally unacceptable, and of course, that essentially slave labour. And of course, the cultural side. The, just to, to go on the cultural side, I just hope in future all possible hosts uh, you know, get the same scrutiny, and that includes Western countries, because it's yeah. not just about countries like Qatar. Where, where is the line drawn on who's an acceptable host of a World Cup? I know Qatar aren't, and I know Saudi Arabia aren't, but you're getting into some murky waters if you think the UK can host it, considering how we're governed and what we do. Is it just to deal with football side, or where do you draw the line? And because countries all take it for the same reason. It's for prestige, it's for tourism, it's for soft power, it's for, you know, it's the same. No one does it just to... Just for the hell of it, they do it for the sake that it's real prestige, like the Olympics. I hope, you know, it changes how we look at in the future. But Infantino is not going to be, has no opposition next year. Uh, nothing's going to change. Basically, it's not. We'll all go away, and they'll and they'll say things for for the other initiatives. And mm. yeah, it's just when it comes around, I think hosts and FIFA themselves are just far, far too powerful in all of this. I mean, you said because they but... they control the sport, the football itself, that we're all desperate to watch. We are all desperate to watch it, aren't yeah. we? But you you said soft power there, and that is the the heart of the matter. Because if you look at the the previous two examples of outright sport washing in the World Cup, nineteen thirty four in Italy, nineteen seventy eight in Argentina, they had very different motivations there. You know, in nineteen thirty four, Mussolini just wanted to show that you know fascism had a, you know was a mighty kind of beast. It was all about the might and power and, you know, hard power. Mm. 1978 was all about, basically, it was for the people of Argentina to try and, you know, get, because obviously it was a, a junta, a, a military junta in charge, very unpopular with the people, and it was trying to kind of change the minds of their own population. Didn't really matter about the rest of the world. It was more for the Argentinian public um, in, in order to fall in love with, you know, the Argentinian team. This is soft power, isn't it? And I can't for the life of me see Adam... How how it works? What is the benefit? There is no benefit, surely. That's not a bad thing, is it? Absolutely, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing. It's I don't I don't know what the bit this and this we could go on for hours and hours and we won't. But this is why the whole David Beckham thing is so stupid. Mm. Like he's making money out of it, but why does David Beckham need another ten million quid for attaching himself to something that it will be seen as a failure? No, yeah. well, I don't get it. It's anyway. It's, it's not. Money, didn't no, he he can't. He he couldn't get his knighthood, so he'll just keep chasing the money. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really care. And the the other thing is, then you start enjoying it. And I enjoyed a few of the games that that have been on. And you're like, should I enjoy it? But it's like, I don't know. It's it's hard. Can you split that? And it's it's the same with City, isn't it? So it's. It's all that question again, but we could go on forever about it. The thing about enjoying the games, I've got a mate who's not watching a single second of this World Cup based purely on his kind of you know ethical beliefs, and and I respect that. But there's no way if I wasn't working around this World Cup and writing about football, I would still watch every minute that I could, even if I am against Qatar and kind of how the tournament was kind of um, you know came to be there. Um, I just don't see that as being any meaningful protest really beyond. You staying true to your core beliefs. No one's going to know if you watch any of the games or not, really. So, yeah, I'm I'm really trying to enjoy the football, which kind of brings us back to the football. And just very quickly before we get onto the good stuff, another aspect that I haven't enjoyed. Um, Tom, what is with all this added on time? They've, they've, cal- <laughs> they've, they've calculated right that it's something like an extra game and a quarter that we've seen so far. 
Yeah, well, Qatar are paying so much money for the World Cup, they want to get their money's worth. So <laughs> no, I, yeah. it's it's strange, isn't it? Because it's it's something that really we should see more of in regards to like time wasting being correctly punished and the correct amount of any time being added on. I mean, we've seen from for City fans' perspectives, how many times have we seen City get four minutes of added time when we could count on? Well, couldn't count on two hands the amount of minutes that we'd seen wasted by teams throughout the tournament, uh, throughout the yeah. match. But it just seems very, it just seems ridiculous, doesn't it? The amount of added time we're seeing, and I'm my worry with it is we're going to see a game where a team are going to waste time trying to cling on for a for a draw. The other team are going to score, and then this team who've wasted time all game are then going to get fifteen minutes added on on top of it. To go and to go and try and find an equaliser. So yeah, it's it's crazy. But um, yeah, I just we're seeing it. We saw two minutes added on in the first half of the of the first game today, and I thought, well, I mean, that makes a nice change. So yeah, yeah, I think we'll continue to see it as long as yeah, as long as the competition goes on. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got to admit, I mean, obviously Wales USA was not happy to see whatever it was nine minutes added on. Um, but even in games I'm quite enjoying, Adam, I, I don't want to see 100 minutes of football. My tolerance level basically goes up to 90. And then after that, I'm a bit bored. I don't know. I'm going to hot take it and say I like it. Really? I do. I like it. Do, do you think yeah, it's right? I'm, well, I saw K- uh, Kalina, Mr. Uh, scary Man himself. Yes. He's, he's now head, head of world refereeing and he did a press conference talking about it. And basically what they're doing is they're counting every single stoppage. So every time the ball's out of play, it's counted in the the added time. And we talked about this, I think, on a pod last year about how in one of our games last season, the ball was in play for less than 50 minutes. And it it will benefit good footballing sides, I think. And it will benefit the fitter teams. Um, But I quite like it because, yeah, teams do need to waste time and grind out results. But in tournament football, I'd rather see someone try and go and win it in the 98th minute than hold on in the, the 89th. So the the only thing that will be interesting is it what if this happens in a semi-final or like it's a 101st minute winner in the final, then things become a little bit different. But I, I will also say that I'm glad I'm not at the games because that much added time is like eating into the day. But <laughs> because I'm, I'm not there, I, I don't mind it. Um, I think it's going to stay a FIFA thing and it's probably to counter some of the nonsense that was at the AFCON, if you remember some of the refereeing in that where um, there was three minutes added on and the the referee blew up on 88 minutes. Yes. Uh, there was all sorts of weird yeah. stuff. So maybe it's just to counter that. At first I did think, before Kalina came out, I thought someone's making some real money on this. Surely yeah. someone's someone's got some money on uh, added time because that's the sort of stupid stuff you can bet on. Um I quite like it. I, I'll say that until it affects something that I don't want it to. But yeah. for the time well, being, I'm, I'm quite enjoying away, it. I've got to say, I, I, I might be swayed by it. And maybe I'm just not used to it at this point. It just feels odd. How, how are you taking it, Howard? How are you viewing it? Kind of in the middle. Uh, they do need to, they need to cut down the time wasting because it, well, it, it kills rhythm and it's it's just so annoying to so many fans. Uh, they can't be adding everything on though, can they? Because then there'd be thirty minutes. Because even the average game has sixty minutes in open, yeah. in open play. I think they just need to dial it down a bit. I'm kind of in favour of it, but like a quick substitution. Don't need to add that on, really. Maybe yeah. twenty four minutes is a bit much. Yes, <laughs> I did, I did yeah. joke on Twitter the other day. When will we see our first two hundred minute game? Well, at this oh, rate, don't no. because it could happen. I've never seen, by the way, so many clashes of heads. Yeah, exactly. In a tournament, yeah, it's what, yeah, uh, that, yeah. What's going on? Why do the keepers keep getting battered by their own oh, defenders? The, the Iranian one was useless, bad. That's why. The yeah, Iran yeah. one was bad. The really one yesterday bad. for Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, oh. Saudi Arabia. And then what was it? Matterface said they're trying every trick in the book to waste time. Yeah, he just after the keeper had, had just knocked out his centre half, and Matterface yeah. was giving it about wasting time. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what time wasting playbook you've got. But I think yeah. you'd be on page three hundred by the time you take knocking out your centre half to waste time. So there you go. Yeah, it's Very just good. like. Got, got his defender pinned down on the floor, punching him in the face. <laughs> yeah. John Hartz again. Oh, this is this is disgraceful time wasting for the. Uh... Oh, can can we talk about John Hartz and Marseille? Yeah, I feel absolutely. like we have to Go because on. 
I have to I... Def- defend him a slightly. <laughs> Chris, well, is you can try. Chris is losing it on WhatsApp on a daily uh, basis. So, so don't. Hour don't by hour, it's bo- like Michael Douglas in falling down. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell my bosses, but obviously, when I'm working from home, watching every single game with the sound on. Um, the Morocco game today, there was a period of play for, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe eight minutes, where John Hartson was just listing every Moroccan player he's ever known that played, <laughs> that played in England. And he started talking about Hadji yeah. for, I'm not kidding, five minutes. And at, at one point, then he starts talking about how Coventry's downfall <laughs> was probably due oh, to the God. fact that Hadji didn't stay. And if Hadji had stayed, he might not have been in the doldrums for the last 20 years. And, oh, my my head was coming off. Like, in the Wales game, I thought, and they, we'll talk about, I imagine, our favourite moments. There was that bit at the end where Bale, if he'd, if, if he'd have had the shot, he was yes. on the halfway yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. I was worried that if Bale had hit that shot, Hartson might have died on the spot. Because, <laughs> he would have imploded. 100%. Because he was... I could feel the steam coming off his head during the game. And it's its not healthy for him. That's what I'm going to say. He needs to take a step back, have a cup of tea, because he's not doing himself any favours. Honestly, I did like, so his, I did like his couscous recipe, though, during the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so does Chris on WhatsApp, because I've just noticed he's actually sent another message now. Um, not even aware that we're talking about Hartson, saying about how McCoy's is night and day in comparison to... I, oh, I mean, God. the thing is with me... I watch all the Wales games and I watch quite a lot of them on SLC and the way that they talk about Gareth Bale, it's just normal. That's so the way Hartson was talking about Gareth Bale the other night was just normal for me, you know. There's nothing out of the ordinary at all. But I can see how, you know, he basically scores a pen and suddenly he's the Messiah and, and all <laughs> of course. But that is normal for SLC. So it's it was normal for me, but I think he might cry during the World Cup. <laughs> if I can find odds on Hartson crying on comms. <laughs> I think it might happen. I really genuinely mean that. I'm not taking the mic. I'm, I mean that. I, um, <laughs> I I interviewed him for a betting site, um, uh, kind of a well-known betting site, and I interviewed him and I went to meet him and uh, I chatted to him for about an hour and he got paid quite a lot of money for it as well. And then at the end, I just said, yes. And at the end, I said, oh, John, can we just end on a couple of quick-fire questions, like, you know, a score prediction, etc. who will win the cup? You know, this is a few years ago. And he said, well, what do you mean? Who's it for? And he knew it was for. He knew who the site was. <laughs> and then he said, um, no, I don't agree with betting. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, <laughs> and after doing the interview and taking the money. But yeah, after John Hartson. There we go. Um, Favourite moments. I'm going to chip in with one that I missed and I saw this morning and I loved, which was the tackle by the Tunis in midfield on Ericsson and thumping his chest. Did, did you guys see that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't say I did. I, don't, I didn't see the game yesterday. Yeah. I did, it's amazing. Yeah. Just even I got, you know, a, got the crowd I got a text from a, a United fan during that game, but it was in a group chat and he said, I don't think anybody should be going in that hard on Ericsson. I was like, I, that's what I thought. I, I actually thought, I bet Ericsson loved that because everyone's you know, kid gloves with him. I bet you thought, yeah, that's a nice change. But yeah, that was amazing. That was so funny. Um, Tom, what's your favourite moment, your favourite game, your favourite individual performance? You know, pick I, I, like. it, it's, I mean, it's got, it's got to be Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, doesn't it? It's, surprises like that are so few and far between in, in like, terms of domestic football because you never really get a team two teams so far apart meeting against each other and for them to go and to, particularly to come from behind and, and beat Argentina was, was fantastic. And the goal, the, the second goal that he scored was, well, it's certainly a contender for goal of the tournament so far and could well be towards the end of the tournament. So yeah, I'd take Saudi Arabia beating Argentina as, as my uh, moment of the tournament so far. I still haven't worked out how he got the ball free, you know, in the, in the box. Yeah, it, it's it unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable footwork. I don't know how he's done it, but it's, sensational and yeah that's uh <laughs> i'll put uh i'll put the uh the flying knockout of the center half in there as well because that was <laughs> that made for quite uh that was quite although i will add on top of that the fact i don't understand why it was replayed so many times we'd seen the defender get flattened by his keeper and for some reason i can't remember if it was itv or bbc broadcasting they just were insistent on continuing to show this replay of the player getting laid out by his keeper and it was like right We've seen it once. We don't need to continue to see it. But but yeah, yeah that's uh, hate... unda- undoubtedly their biggest win ever. And I don't think it'll ever be top for Saudi Arabia. 
Absolutely. I mean, they had their you know golden generation in the nineties, and they've topped you know what their greatest ever team has done, and with a fairly average team to be honest, what they've got right now. So, um, yeah, it's a magnificent achievement from them. Um, how is your favourite memory? Uh, favourite memory? Your favourite moment? Oh, uh, Jack Grealish's goal celebration. Ah, lovely stuff. Uh, yeah. Bless yes. him. Bless them. Yes, and he remembered as well as in. I think at first that the, the occasion got to him and he was just purely celebrating the goal and then it just clicked. You can actually see it in his face. It clicked in. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then it's big grin. <laughs> does it. Lovely. Um, Adam, favourite kind of game, favourite moment? Uh, that that would have been one, the Grealish one. Um, there was a tackle on Messi uh, in the Saudi Arabia game where he looked like he was in and he'd just pulled his foot back to shoot and a Saudi Arabian player came in from absolutely nowhere. That was one. I do think, though, that the bail opportunity where the keeper's off his line the tackle yeah. on Bale is yeah. phenomenal <laughs> like there is no doubt in my mind that Bale scores that from 50 yards out he'll, he'll mm. score that and the tackle is so it's it's just the, the typical you are not having the ball I'm going to take <laughs> you out and he, he cleaned everything out and I love that so can you imagine sorry, how sorry, annoying Steve. well I was going to say I was going to agree because imagine how annoying we would be as Welsh if he'd scored that <laughs> oh my god we'd have been insufferable <laughs> Absolutely insufferable. Um, okay, here's a quite an interesting one to end on. Um, so it's kind of free trivia. I'll start with you, Tom. Have you seen anything that's made you reassess something that you thought prior to the competition? Whether that be how good a, or bad a team is or player or anything you like. Um, well, my my reassessment would be that England can actually play decent football under Gareth yeah. Southgate. I would suppose would be my instant reaction to that in that, yeah, particularly in that, in that first half, that sort of 20 minute spell before half time we were fantastic and as I've as you guys will know from the podcast I've done with you and talked about England before I am the the most negative England fan in the world when it comes to anything other than major tournaments and I wasn't really bothered about the World Cup and to be honest I still don't really get that excited when England score like I do if City score but I've kind of now got this little bit of belief in me that that we can do well we can go far in the competition and we can actually play good football, which is something that I didn't have before the tournament started. So that would be uh, that would be my my pick for that one. I think I'll just kind of quickly jump in with mine, which was I was led to believe, because obviously I don't really follow too much international football, I was led to believe that African football was in a bit of a decline and Senegal aside, you know, kind of there's not that many great teams around at the moment with African football. But from what I've seen so far, Tunisia was superb, Morocco got a point today. Senegal were unfortunate, I think, to lose uh, to Holland. It took them to the 84th minute. Um, so I've just gone left, I think, isn't it? So I, I think, you know, kind of my, my assessment, but that was based on second-hand information anyway. So uh, from what I've seen, we look to be in a quite a healthy state. Uh, Adam, have you kind of changed your mind on anything? Um, I think people might have written France off far too soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They, they were really, really good after going to goal down. Um I think Argentina will still be fine. I think they'll they'll win the next two mm. games. Um, and I'll probably agree with Tom that England are a lot more encouraging than, than I thought they might be. <laughs> but I've I've just enjoyed the, the shock value of it, really. The uh, Australia going a goal up against France was great. Saudi Arabia beating uh, Argentina has been great. So I think there might be a bit more of that. Um, but yeah, it's... It's been good um, so far. I don't think it's been great. No, we'll see. But Fran- not- France, are the, they were written off properly and they're dangerous. Giroud's still got it as well, which is terrifying. Yeah, so. yeah well, absolutely. I, I think maybe because it's the opening games, maybe things change around the second game because teams then think, OK, we need to win today to kind of, you know, stand any chance. But maybe we're seeing a few nil-nils around right now. Because it's, you know, caution rules. Um, Howard, have you changed your mind on anything? I think you've covered it all, to be honest. Uh, yeah? No, I've not changed my mind. It's panned out much as I expected. I see yeah, England were a bit better than I expected. Argentina were worse. But first game, I think it's a bit early to start making conclusions. But I agree about France. You know, the play, they've got another player out now, have they not? So, then you, but then you realise the depth they've got. Yeah, mm. they're... I th- yes, they're a bigger threat than I thought. With you know Benzema out uh, and others out, obviously, and quite a lot of players out, but the depth is just ridiculous. Uh, obviously, Pogba can't say more. I thought maybe, yeah, 
and World Cup holders tend not to do well for some reason uh, all the time. I th- yeah, they they are absolute one of the favourites. So I'm happy to say that right now, even though one of the favourites haven't even played yet. Just the only thing, it's not changed my mind. It's just rammed it home even further. And I'll be two sentences maximum because everyone's bored of saying it. I'm really <laughs> worried about the way VAR's going. Mm. The pen- I mean, Gundogan's just scored from a penalty, by the way. Uh, seems seems we do have a City player who can take him, apart from Harland. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it was given for, but some of the penalties that were given have really got me worried about the future of football. So inconsistent. So, so, that, that's There's just thing. nothingness about yeah. it can, as well. Can I add quickly on that, just because it's reminded me, that's something that I really enjoyed, was seeing the referee in the Denmark game go to the monitor yes. and not overturn his decision, because that was never a penalty. And yeah. the amount of times I, I put on Twitter, I think we've been brainwashed as Premier League fans to assume that going to the monitor means the decision's going to be changed. And Can the I... minute I saw he was going to the screen, I was like, well, there we go. It's a penalty. And it wasn't a penalty. And he stuck to his wits. And I I was, I was, found that really refreshing and really and really good to see. Can I be a party pooper? Mm. No. I think he didn't <laughs> give it. I think he didn't give it because there was a foul on a player before the ball reached the player who handballed it. There was a push before then. Well, either way, I, you know what happened. I know. You, I you've, want... you've, not, you've not flirted with me. You, you're stomping <laughs> all over my comments. It's, you know what It's fine. I understand where, where, the, where your loyalties lie now, but it's okay. But that made me it. even more angry, because why did the VAR... If that was the case, why did the VAR uh, tell him to go and look at the monitor? Because he himself should have seen that push before the handball came. It should not... That's honestly... We're doing a show later about things you changed, and I'm... One of my things is penalties. That should never be a penalty, something so innocuous as that. But I've got a horrible feeling. I'm not stating it as a fact, honest Tom, but I think he might have disallowed no, it, no, it because of the, an earlier instant rather than because he didn't think it was handball. This, so. the, the other thing, you've, you've mentioned that now, there's been a lot of offside goals. There's been two in the Germany game in the first half. Mm. One yeah, for they- each side. There's been a lot in this competition. <laughs> Saudi Arabia's, high line. Yet, so. <laughs> Saudi Arabia's high line was a thing of absolute beauty yesterday as well. By yes. way. I've never seen a team execute that offside trap to perfection in the way that Saudi Arabia did. It was it was really good to watch. Sorry, lads, I got distracted by um, a bit of work. I interviewed Ray Parley yesterday. <laughs> so, I'm God. just... Um, yeah, we're just getting back in touch about that. He was... Let's was he topless say, and drinking beer? He was very Ray <laughs> Parler. He was exactly how you'd expect it. A really nice guy, you know what I mean? It's all kind of, it's like chatting to just, you know, someone you've known for ages and a lovely fella. But yeah, he was very, very Ray Parler. Um, <laughs> and if, if, if I'm going to take flack on behalf of the Welsh people today for how much we look up to Gareth Bale, his thoughts on Harry Kane or Sir Harry of Kane, um, yeah, I think you lot are just as bad with Kane. Not you in particular, but you know. <laughs> Sunny English, but there we go. Um, right, that wraps things up for today. Uh, I think we've got most of it covered, and there's Not still bad. a great deal to go. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm really looking wait, forward to Steve. This. Go on, mate, yeah. Steve, we forgot one thing when we were talking about best moments when Roy Keane and Graham Sooness just forgot. Oh, I shouted at each other. Oh, it's it's a fight that everyone wants to see. Why don't they just give the public what they want? It's just. <laughs> It's it was so good. I missed it. What happened? Oh, I, we're gonna have to find the clip and put it and put it on Twitter. But they they're both yeah. arguing about something, and then it starts. So Roy Keane says, "I'm here to give my opinion. I don't think that's a penalty." And Sooness said, "I've heard you say it ten times already today. Just let someone else speak." <laughs> so Roy, Roy Keane comes back and says, "Go ahead, go ahead. Thank you again for your time, Graham. No problem." Um, and they just they just start shouting at each other off mic. It's great. It was a you, it was a pub row. Yeah, you can tell they genuinely row. they genuinely don't like each other. Them too. Like sometimes you see it where people have a bit of a pop at each other. Like you get it with Carragher and Neville from time to time on Sky. But them two genuinely do not like each other, and I don't know why they're working for the same company. But it makes for fantastic television. So oh, that's yeah. probably why. But if them two had a charity boxing match, I would pay good money. To watch, I'd, I'd back Keane to absolutely smack his head in. But no, I don't, I don't, I, yeah. Sooness, okay, he's old, he's an old man now. He's knocking on and maybe a bit out of shape. But yeah, Sooness in his prime, I would have backed her. 
uh, over Keane. Anyway, yeah, he's got, he's got age on his side. Put put him in a UFC cage and Keane's taking him all day. Maybe in a boxing <laughs> ring, a bit more contained. It might be all yeah, right. Yeah, but he's got the beard. Sudes can grab hold of his beard. It's a long beard yeah, to that... grab hold of as well. Well, there we go. We need to we need to make it happen. We need to find a way of getting that getting that fight sorted because it's one that the public want. I think. Um, lads, I really enjoyed today, and thank you for coming on and thank giving you. us your time. It's it's very much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. I've enjoyed it. Cheers, guys. Yeah. How how are we how are we going to do this, Howard? Because normally I just sign off with some pithy remark, and then <laughs> do you have do you have a selection of them at hand? I don't because I thought, well, I'll just hand it over to Howard at this point, which is what yeah, I'm going to do now. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the main road ramble uh, hypothetical show next, so. You are all excused. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed that podcast. Thanks all. And Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Take care. Donate as well. Donate. Donate. Please donate. Yes. Yep.